Hi, I'm Paul Ellard. Welcome to Our Queen, Our Mother, the Graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In our sessions, we will be exploring the topic of the Blessed Virgin Mary and why she is important to the Christian faith. With each talk, we will try and open up and explain in simple terms the Catholic Church's teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. We will also include a testimony of people who have experienced her love and grace in their own lives. So welcome to the program, and let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our loving God, we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you especially for your cross, your resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for embracing your cross, and all that went with it, all the sufferings. And Lord, we invited your mother to accompany you in your suffering, and in ways that we can never fully understand. The depth of this suffering was immense and so precious in your eyes that you combined her suffering with yours so that we might be saved. Lord, we thank you that our Blessed Mother embraced her cross, embraced her sufferings in such a powerful way that helped contribute to our graces that we receive today and to be as a model disciple for us to follow when we have crosses in our lives. Praise and thank you, Lord. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts that we may accompany Mary in her sorrows, and enter deeply into this profound mystery. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today we want to look at the topic of Our Lady of Sorrows. It's a feast day that we celebrate in the Church. The whole tradition of reflecting on Mary's sorrows goes back to 1233, when seven youths in Tuscany founded the Servite Order, the Order of the Servants of Mary. This order's charism was to focus on the sorrows of Mary and reflect on this and take on board all the lessons and the teachings that come through reflecting on Mary's sorrows. Then in 1814, Pope Pius VII inserted this feast into the Roman Catholic calendar of saints. And since 1913, and since 1913, when Pope Pius moved the feast to September 15th, it celebrated then on the day after the Feast of the Triumph of the Cross. In our church tradition, we have the seven sorrows of Mary, where we reflect on seven events in the life of Mary that were truly sorrowful for her. 
Now, of course, Mary suffered more than seven times in her lifetime. Many, many times did she suffer. But I thought it would be good to reflect on these seven principal sorrows and help us to enter into this and see what mysteries and what can be learnt for us in being true disciples of Jesus. Now, the first sorrow of Mary is the prophecy of Simeon. You might recall in Luke's Gospel, where speaks about Mary and Joseph present the baby Jesus in the temple. In fact, it's one of the joyful mysteries. And there's an aspect that is very sorrowful for Mary when Simeon comes up to them, blesses the child and says, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is spoken against. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. Here is this prophecy of the sword piercing Mary's heart. And of course, Mary's sorrow is linked intimately with Jesus' sorrow. So of course we all know that the physical sword did not pierce Mary's heart but it pierced Jesus' heart. And at that point, you can imagine the pain and the sorrow that Mary would have experienced. Don't forget, when the sword actually pierced Jesus' heart, he had already died. In a conversation with Jesus that St. Margaret Mary had, she asked him once, why was it that he allowed the sword to pierce his heart? even though at that point he had died. And he said he wanted to show the totality of his love, that complete giving of self, even blood and water that flowed from the side of Jesus. And of course, too, it's significant from Mary's position, because at that moment, tradition teaches us that Mary gave birth to us, We are her spiritual children. And while Mary never suffered physical pain giving birth to Jesus, she suffered enormous spiritual pain giving birth to us. And at that moment, she became our mother. And as Scott Hahn explained so beautifully, that the blood and the water that come from the side of Jesus is also present at childbirth. So again, it signifies this deeper meaning that Mary became our mother at the cross. The sufferings of the mother of God cannot be comprehended. They are inconceivable. But although her whole life was like that, the greatest woes and trials came to her during the week of the bitter passion and death of her son. So Mary suffered to see Jesus suffering, but she also suffered because she understood well that Jesus was suffering to save us. And she, as our mother, as our spiritual mother, like any mother, suffers for her children until they are safe. Mary's great sorrow and sufferings, she endured for our salvation. And that's why her sufferings command from us the greatest respect and reverence. She united her sufferings with Jesus. Of course, Jesus is the Saviour. All her sufferings 
are depended upon Jesus. But her sufferings were not insignificant. And especially when you consider that Mary was sinless and suffering is a result of sin. In one sense, I suppose you could argue if anyone deserved not to suffer, <laughs> it was Mary. But no, she embraced suffering. And she embraced it to a greater degree than any of us have ever suffered because she suffered an enormous spiritual and physical suffering. It would have been easier for Mary to have changed places with Jesus and for her to die than to watch her son die. And so it's important that we reflect on the sorrows of Mary and we have gratitude. Mary once said to St. Bridget, I gaze upon the children of men to see whether anyone feels compassion for me. And alas, I see few. If many forget me, at least you, my daughter, do not forget me. Consider how much I have suffered. And that's why we call Mary the Queen of Martyrs. Because although her body was never bruised by torturers, her heart was pierced by the sword of compassion for her divine Son. And the sorrow sufficiently great to inflict a thousandfold death. St. Bernardine of Siena says that the sorrow of Mary was so great that if it had been equally divided among all men, they would have died immediately. As great as was her love for Jesus, and it was unspeakably great, so great also was the sorrow of Mary at his passion. Hence we can say with truth that Mary suffered more than if she had been martyred a thousand times. For she loved Jesus more than her own life and would have sacrificed her life a thousand times with the greatest joy if, without offending God, if she could have rescued her son from sufferings and death. And going back to St. Bridget again, an angel revealed to her that if our Lord had not miraculously sustained his mother, she could not have possibly survived her martyrdom. Richard of St. Victor says, In martyrs the intensity of their love mitigated their sufferings. But with Mary it was different. The more she loved, the more she suffered, and the greater was her martyrdom. St. Anselm makes the same point. Whenever tortures were inflicted on the bodies of the martyrs, they were but little compared with your sufferings, O mother. And St. Basil says, As the sun surpasses all the stars in lustre, so the sorrows of Mary surpass all the torturers of the martyrs. The martyrdom of Mary was lifelong, and according to Simeon's prophecy, she was enlightened with regard to the intense sufferings of her divine son. Her entire being was steeped in bitterness. The swords which pierced her soul penetrated also every nerve and fibre of her tender, sinless body. To her was wanting the great support with which martyrs enjoyed in their sufferings. During their tortures, they directed their inward gaze towards Jesus, the Crucified by whose grace and love they were strengthened and consoled. The flames of the love of Jesus cooled the fires of torture, softened the strokes of the scourges, 
and blunted the sharpness of the sword. But with Mary, where could she turn her gaze? Because as she stood beneath the cross, it was Jesus, precisely the sight of her divine Son, that caused her the most intense suffering. She was his mother, and a mother more loving than any other mother's, loving as never yet a mother loved, loving more than all mothers combined could love, even if their thousandfold affections were united into one inexpressible act of love. In her heart were united natural love, by which she loved Jesus as her son, but also supernatural love, by which she loved him as her God. Jesus was her son, and such a son, and in so wonderful a manner her son. He was her treasure, the life of her life, her all. What an agony penetrating the inmost being lay in this sight. He was also her God, but the humiliation of his being spat upon, mocked, ridiculed, lashed to purple stripes, bleeding with dreadful wounds. How these tortures inflicted upon her son and her God grieved the mother's heart. In vain do we attempt to analyse the anguish of Mary's flooded soul as she stood beneath the cross. Jesus, the joy and the consolation of martyrs, was the cause of his mother's greatest sufferings. Twice he crucified her, once by his human nature and again by his divine nature. He willed that his mother should suffer. For as the mother of the Redeemer, she was to participate in his work of redemption. No martyrdom has ever equaled Mary's. At the foot of the cross, where the mercy of God celebrated its greatest triumph, Mary was made the Queen of Martyrs. And at the same time, as we said, she became our mother, the comforter of the afflicted, the help of Christians, and the refuge of sinners. Her consolation the sufferings of her son was the knowledge that through his death we would be redeemed. Mary offered her son willingly for our salvation. The sacrifice she made in union with him was so great that Saint Alphonsus says two hung on one cross. So then we look at now the second sorrow of Mary. It's the flight into Egypt. And as you recall, Herod ordered the death of all the newborn babies. And so Joseph, in the night, had to wake Mary and they had to flee with the baby Jesus into Egypt. Again, the sorrow of Mary must have been great, not only in concern for her own son and having to travel by night through dangerous country to a different country, but I'm sure Mary would have grieved greatly for those innocent babies that were being killed. And even today, she's still grieving this from the millions of babies that have been aborted. Great is Mary's sorrow. 
the third sorrow of Mary is the loss of the child Jesus in the temple. And you remember what happened. Joseph and Mary went to Jerusalem and they left and they were traveling and each of them thought that the baby Jesus was with each other or with relatives. And then when they discovered that he was not with them, they searched for three days and eventually came back to Jerusalem and found him. Mystics like Venerable Mary of Agreda, who write about these things, tell us that Mary, in her humility, thought that she was not worthy to be the mother of the Messiah. And so when he was missing, she was thinking, yes, I'm not worthy, he's been taken from me. And so there would have been great heartache and trying to understand what was going on. Eventually, when she finally finds him, we read where Mary, at the end, she treasures all these things in her heart. So beautiful how we understand God working in our lives when it gets really mysterious, when it's hard to put all the pieces together. It's not just chaos. There is something in it of divine plan working. There may also be something of the evil plan working. But if we keep close to Jesus and Mary, we keep our prayer open, and we abandon ourselves and surrender ourselves, love will triumph over evil in our lives. The fourth sorrow of Mary is that she meets Jesus on the way to Calvary. And whenever I read this, I'm brought to that movie of the Passion where we see this beautifully portrayed, where Mary and Jesus meet. And you could just imagine the sorrow in Mary's heart to see her son like this, in this condition, being treated like this. And she knows that this is the Redeemer of the world. This is the Creator. There must have been a part of her who wanted to scream out, say, don't you know what you're doing? This is God. But she surrendered to the will of God and entered into this deep mystery. The fifth sorrow of Mary is that Jesus dies on the cross. How can we ever understand the sorrow of Mary kneeling before the cross for three hours, watching him torture and slowly die on the cross? My goodness. And in front of all the soldiers, she wasn't afraid like the apostles were when they ran off. But she was there and John was there. And of course, they say, the tradition has it, that John was the holiest of the apostles. And most likely because John was the closest to Mary. She would have guided him and formed him in his spirituality. When all the others ran off, he was the one who would have turned to Mary and said, What do I do? And she would have said, Come with me, trust. And she calls to us, Come with me and trust. Kneel at the foot of the cross. Do not be afraid. The sixth sorrow of Mary is when Mary receives the dead body of Jesus in her arms. Oh my goodness, does this not touch our hearts? I'm sure many of us have experienced being next to someone who is very close to us who has died. The pain and the anguish is just beyond words. Mary would have suffered this, and when we suffer, she's there to comfort us especially for mothers who have lost children. She knows. She understands. She will comfort you. Hold on tight to Mary.
and allow her to embrace you and share in your sorrow. And with her, keep your eyes on Jesus. There is the answer. Because three days later, resurrection, and while it may not be just three days in our life when we can experience resurrection, every cross embraced with Jesus and Mary has guaranteed resurrection. And not just in the next life, but in a significant form in this life. Well, that's certainly been the experience of my life anyway. And I know so many others who would say the same. But we have to surrender. We have to let go, trying to keep control. The seventh sorrow of Mary is Jesus is placed in the tomb. There's a finality about that, about a body being placed in the tomb, a body being placed in the grave. There is a finality that just cuts to the heart. But as we said, with every cross embraced with Jesus is resurrection. As the mother of God, Mary was exalted to an incomparable height of holiness. Who can comprehend the lofty height of her greatness, of her sanctity? St. Thomas attempted, and he concluded that omnipotence itself could not invent a greater greatness. It was necessary that her sorrows should correspond to her holiness, for the sufferings and the tribulation of the saints always keep pace with their sanctity. What then must Mary's sufferings have been in order to be proportionate to her greatness, the greatness of the Mother of God? Who can comprehend the immensity of her graces and her merits? And consequently, who can comprehend the enormous weight of her sufferings required by such holiness to complete her perfection and to crown her most worthily? The sorrows of the Mother of God surpass the power of human endurance. It's the unanimous opinion of spiritual writers that beneath the pressure of her inconceivable sufferings, the Blessed Virgin's life was miraculously preserved. From the moment of Simeon's prophecy, she foresaw her sorrows in vivid reality. Without the special aid of God's omnipotence, her soul would have been separated from her body. True, Mary was marvellously tranquil because she was wholly submissive to the will of God. But this did not lessen her sorrow. Her nature, never disturbed by sin, possessed an extraordinarily tenderness and was susceptible to sufferings in an inexpressibly high degree. Mary revealed to St. Bridget that man will never comprehend the anguish of my sorrows. In case you're interested, a lot of this material that I'm sharing with you comes from a little tan book called The Devotion to the Sorrowful Mother. It's a beautiful book and it's got prayers and reflections. I just found it a wonderful insight into understanding the sorrows of Mary. The price I've got on the back of this one is $3, although it was probably bought a long time ago. But it's not expensive, no matter if it was double that price today, it's still not expensive for the gem that it is. Now, there are a number of things that caused Mary to suffer more, that increased her sufferings. We mentioned earlier that, placed in similar circumstances, most mothers would have longed to die with her son. 
But Mary could not die with Jesus. Although she had such a union with him, Jesus, her son, was the bliss of her heart, the sum of her existence. How could Mary live without Jesus? Yet she must witness him die, without being able to die with him. That's an inexpressible grief. And another circumstance that increased the anguish of the Mother of God was the realization that her sufferings increased those of her son Jesus. These must have been some of the most bitter pains to endure. Yet it was his will that his blessed mother should form part of his sufferings. When we consider the boundless love which he loved his mother, we will understand that for him to meet her on the way to Calvary and to behold her beneath the cross was truly one of his most acute tortures. And Mary knew this. What pain for her maternal heart to know that she must be one of the causes of his sufferings. Wow. Again, Mary was an eyewitness of the sufferings of her divine son. She saw him bound to the pillar. She heard the lashings of the scourges. She saw his delicate flesh whipped and bleed under blows. Her anguish was further increased by the fact that she could offer no relief to her dear son in his excruciating pain. She stood beneath the cross. She saw the blood trickling from his thorns in his head into his eyes, but could not reach his sacred face to wipe those drops away. She saw his lips parched with thirst, pale and bloodless, but was unable to offer him a refreshing drink. His head had no pillow to rest upon, yet she was prevented from supporting it in any way. Who can comprehend the anguish that Mary endured, that her motherly heart had to embrace those three endless hours of dreadful helplessness? And Mary had a clear understanding of the nature of sin. We can understand that our Lord would have imparted to his mother a supernatural knowledge of sin, its wickedness, its hideousness, and the horror and the hatred that God has for it. The hideousness of sin she beheld written on the cross in the precious blood of Jesus. She saw the sins of the whole world like a mountain, pressing upon the bowed shoulders of her son, bleeding and dying. Mary saw that he truly was God and man. He was crushed by the numberless sins of men, covered with their guilt, crucified by their malice. What unspeakable sufferings for the sinless, guiltless, immaculate heart of our sweet mother. And still yet another source of Mary's unutterable grief was man's ingratitude for our Lord's passion and the eternal loss of so many souls for whom her son's precious blood would be shed in vain. She, as the Queen of the Apostles and Queen of the Church, she saw the countless numbers of those who would be indifferent who would have disgust for divine things, who would desecrate holy sacraments, 
and who would reject and abuse the grace on the part of so many souls, all consequences that are based through ingratitude. And through her eyes she saw the multitude of the damned, for whom all the sufferings of her son would be lost. At this sight, what indescribable pain must have pierced to the very depths of the most loving and dearest mother. So why do we reflect on all this? The same reason we reflect on the passion of Jesus. We have to realise what our sins have cost Jesus and Mary. We have to realise that huge graces that are there for us if we reach out and accept them. But most of all, we have to realize how much we are loved. Who do you know that would be prepared to die and suffer so much for someone else who didn't even appreciate it, who was indifferent? That's how much we are loved. When we realize how much we are loved, we cannot but turn with gratitude, with praise, with thanksgiving. We cannot but help respond back to that love with our love. If you want to love Jesus and Mary more, meditate on the passion. If you want to realize how blessed you are, meditate on the passion. If you want to understand the mysterious ways of God, meditate on the passion. Because the passion is always linked with the resurrection. They're both sides of the one coin, we could say. Because God will always triumph in the end. The question is, where do we stand? Do we stand with the triumph and the victory? Or do we stand with those who are lost? We want to stand with those who are victory. And we want to pray for those who are heading to be lost. Because the salvation of souls is the greatest concern for Jesus and Mary. So Lord, we thank you for your mother. We thank you, dear mother, that you embraced your crosses, that you said yes to Jesus. And your yes cost you dearly. We recognise this and we thank you. And we praise you, Lord, for all the wondrous gifts and graces that you just pour on us in superabundance. Wake us up. Open our eyes. Give us eyes to see, minds to understand, and hearts to respond in love. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. radio.org.au